Um, I wonder how you guys did at Christmas. How did you make out with your gifts? I know that's a little bit uh, like down here in terms of the high things we're going to talk about, but did you get something good? All right. Did anybody get something that connected them to people like through the internet? You get like a technology kind of gift? Yes? No? A watch? My, my kids got Fitbits, right? Just technology connects them to everybody. So I was just thinking about that. A lot of the conversations this year about are we going to connect to Disney's new channel uh, and, or, or are we going to stay with Amazon or stay with Netflix and all these connections. And, and the reality is we are so connected as a world. We're more connected than we ever have been before. Uh, that's not something I'm bringing to you as a profound truth. That's just the way it is. Um, it's an achievement of modern technology that makes people and the things they offer and the ideas they have more accessible than ever before. And so uh, we, we get to connect. It's really easy. This year, I was looking, shopping for a product to give to some of our guests, and uh, I, I went beyond Amazon into the world of, I think it's called Alibaba. And, um, and through Alibaba, I was able to send an email to someone in China, and we were able to send an email. I wrote in English. I'm pretty sure Google translated into Chinese, and uh, we started going into some connection over the possibility of buying their product and having it shipped here. Um, it turns out that even if you can do that, it's way too expensive. But, um, but I was surprised that I was writing and conver- having a conversation with someone in China, just a connection, a connection. We are able to connect with so many people. But here's the thing about technology and connection. It doesn't deliver to us what we really desire. We have connections, but we desire more community, more belonging, more of the reassurance that we are included by and valued by and able to contribute to the life of others in a meaningful way. These kind of communities require a change of our perspective. We must stop looking at people as the sources of the information we want to have or the products that we want to get from them or the ideas we want to be around. We need to let the Holy Spirit begin to show us that they are people who are participants in a life that only God can give. And that life comes by faith. So it's the Spirit that leads us to become an uncommon community of people who share faith and are being saved. So as we come into this sermon this morning, I, I want you to put your thinking caps on and I want you to think about the people that you're sitting in the row with. The people that you're sitting in this church with right now. And I want to ask you, Are you connected to them, or do you share something with them? Like, look up and down the row at the people, not just your family, but a couple people over. What is the connection there? Is it more than that? Have you started a community with them? And if you have started a community with them, what do you expect from them? What do they expect from you? To help you consider those questions this morning, We're going to look at a letter from Paul to a man named Philemon about someone they both had in common named Onesimus. And Onesimus was actually Philemon's slave, his bondservant. These men were all connected by the customary roles of the time. Of course, Philemon and Onesimus, they had this kind of working relationship where it seems like Philemon must have come into some debt with, uh, sorry, Onesimus must have come into some debt with uh, Philemon and owed him some money, but he couldn't pay. So he decided he was going to work it off for some undetermined amount of time. So he became his slave. And then at some point, Paul traveled through the town that Philemon lived in. It's probably Colossae. And he was preaching, and Philemon got saved. Then Onesimus ran away, left home, didn't like that arrangement, 
and, and found Paul where he was preaching, and he got saved. And so they had this, these ways of being connected through their roles in society, but they were also now in a community because of salvation that changed the way they were relating to each other. So now in Christ, the master and the slaves were sharers of the same supernatural life, and they were redefined by what they shared and not simply how they were connected. And Paul is writing to test Philemon's heart about this idea. And as we study it today, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to test our hearts as well. Are you just connected here? It doesn't take a lot to bring yourself and plunk yourself down in a seat and call that church. But are you just connected here or do you share something? Do you, do you share life with the people that you're in church with? Do you share faith? Now, if you've seen the title, you might have thought, I, I thought this was going to be some type of evangelism message. Share your faith. Aren't you going to talk to us about talking to people about the gospel and inviting them that way? And no, it's not that kind of message. This is about the community that comes as we take part in the life that God has started in us that comes to us by faith. It's not an evangelism message. It's a message about uncommon community. And it's part of a series that Pastor Roger and I agreed we think the Holy Spirit kind of cooked this up because next week he wants to talk to you about relationships as well. And, and it's all about how we live out our faith. So I'm talking to you about sharing your faith, being someone who shares in the faith that we have together. And next week, Pastor Roger wants to talk to you about holding your faith all for the sake of Christ. So as we turn to Philemon, I hope you'll find it there. It's just one book. It's a little letter. We'll be able to read the whole thing today. But I want you to know that Paul personally crafted this letter to persuade Philemon to treat Onesimus as a free brother in Christ. There's a lot of persuasive techniques in here. And the intent of this letter is made clear in verse 6, and I want to just begin by reading that over us. So if you're in Philemon, go to chapter 1. There's only one chapter, verse 6. There's only one verse 6. He says this, I pray that the sharing of your faith, the partaking in it, the sharing of your faith will, may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. That's Paul's prayer, and that's my prayer, that we would all be persuaded in the same way to make the decision to share our faith, to partake in the faith in such a way with each other that we have a community and not just a connection. And in this book, this little letter, we're going to find five examples of how we can do that together this morning. So you ready? You sure? I heard you say good morning to Pastor Todd, and I was disappointed. Good morning. Oh, it's okay. But are you ready to do this? So here's the strategy. I, I want to read the whole letter with you today, but we're going to read a little, bit of a, a little bit at a time, make a point, read a little bit more, make a point, and at the end, I have a way to apply it that I think God wants us to do as we move into 2020. So let's look at these examples. For the sake of Christ, this is all because of what Jesus has done in us, share your faith by acknowledging ministry. Let's look at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker in Aphia, Aphia, our sister in Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. And by your house, they mean Philemon's house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul is so good at acknowledging ministry. He's so good at affirming people. And all throughout his letters, we see, we know of other people in the ministry because Paul takes the time to name them and often say what they do to support him in the ministry or support the other churches that he does, that he works with. He sets this example for us, and, and the opening of this letter is no different. And, it, and we see him acknowledging the ministry that Philemon has and acknowledging these other people that are serving with him. And as Paul does this, he models several types of behavior, behavior from a Christian leader that we expect from them. Quite frankly, you expect us as pastors and staff to, to acknowledge the ministry contributions that you give to the church. And we want to do that. Pastor Todd, I'm so thankful that he has said often, you know, it's a cold day. Wow, just let's give a round of applause for the guys who are out in the parking lot today. Or don't forget the people that are in, in, the, in Harvest Kids to this week. Or don't forget our youth leaders. I'm so glad we have that. And we expect that from from him, and you should expect that from us, but, but maybe we come to the spot where we think, I don't expect that from the people in my row, but listen, the idea that we share our faith by acknowledging ministry means that we need to expect that from you, that you would be able to acknowledge the ministry from each, from each other, that you could say to each other, this is what you do, this is how it blesses me, and that's so important, that's important for us to share our faith like that. So as we open up this, into this letter we can see several types of ministry that Paul acknowledges, things that have to happen as a church grows and goes forward for the gospel. So I want to list them for you one at a time here. And first of all, we see that Paul mentions the idea that there's sacrifice happening, and one of the ways that we share the faith is by sacrificing for each other. Look at Paul. He says, describes himself, I'm Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. And down at the end, he says, Epaphras, 23, my fellow prisoner. These are men that are in prison. They were probably under house arrest, which means that they couldn't leave the place where they, they were in. They weren't necessarily in, in, in jail in chains, but they weren't allowed to move about freely. They, they sacrificed their freedom within the Roman Empire because they refused to stop spreading the gospel. They f- refused to stop telling people about Jesus. And so they were thrown under guard, under watch, and they couldn't just go about. He can't bring these things to Philemon today to say in person because he's not allowed to. He sacrificed something. They're servants of this gospel ministry, and it's not just him. It's all these other people that he mentions, Timothy, Mark, Aristarchus, Aphia, um, Demas, Luke, Philemon as well, because he holds a church in his house, and Onesimus, who is also joined in the ministry. They're all now sacrificing. They're servants of this gospel ministry. And all of us can take from this example that we should see ourselves as servants of the gospel too, servants of a great commission, something that's bigger than us. So it's not just staff who serve, but it's the volunteers who serve graciously and lovingly and going beyond the point of what's easy or convenient. And that's a ministry. We need that. We don't just see him acknowledging that kind of ministry. We also see him acknowledging the work that they do together. He says of one of them that they're his fellow soldier in another spot. He says fellow workers. And he's speaking about the efforts that were taken by them all to promote the gospel. It was a a labor. It was a campaign for them to do this together. And, and they were working on it. 
It took some effort. And he saw them kind of as soldiers in the same army, as, as, as brothers in arms, as sisters in arms, people that linked together to advance the gospel forward. And they were working together. So we, that's what we do here. We work together. We work together to preach the, preach the messages. We work together to sing out these truths. We work together by demonstrating what we believe in, in the community. We invite others to experience it. We work together to pool our resources, our funds, to, to manage these efforts. And we also volunteer our time and efforts to keep the building clean and, and, and manage the resources so that we can continue to do this work very well all week long. We work with a point, and our point is that Jesus came and changed our lives, and he's brought us into community, and we do his work together. Another ministry is that he mentions praying for each other. He's praying for Philemon. And we do that here. We know many of you do that here. We passed along the Connect folders so that we could hear more prayer requests this week, and people will pray for you. People walked around this building this morning praying about the different things that would be happening here. Prayer, we want it to go on. It's, it's essential to what happens. But when we're in a community, we want to go beyond just saying we're praying for you. But when someone says something's going on, sometimes you'll see, you'll, you'll see people stopping and praying right there with them in that moment, praying for the person who needs prayer. We have that ministry at the front of the church after every service. You can come up here and meet with people and they'll pray with you, put an arm on you and bring your request before the Lord together. It's so good when we see not just that with staff but with volunteers who just initiate some time praying together, linking arms, bowing their heads, going before the Lord. This is a ministry of refreshing each other. That's what Philemon was known for. That's his reputation. And I think if there was someone in our church that had, rep, that had that reputation, that's the person I'd want to sit beside. I don't really know what refreshing your heart means, but it sounds good. Do you think that sounds good? Right? Because in your life, as you go about life, your heart gets empty. You, you pour out the good stuff in it, and sometimes you come to church, and it's a little bit, your cup doesn't run over. And then you can sit beside someone and they pour into it. They refresh the hearts of the saints. That's a great thing to have going on. And, and we need people that do that. And thank God for people who do that in your life. I said to the first service this morning um, that my wife is someone who does that in my life. She, she pours back in when I pour out. She refreshes my heart. I'm so thankful. I don't mean that as flattery for you, Hannah. I just mean that's the truth. You know, it, it, we need that. It's a ministry. And it's something we do as we share the faith and we need that. And then finally, praising the contributions of others. It's another type of ministry that we see going on here. Paul is very open about what Philemon has done. He talks about how he's heard about his reputation of your love and your faith, and, and it's towards the Lord Jesus and for all of the saints. And he spends some time praising what's gone on there. And I get the sense that a church can't function without ministry, it's not church if we're not working together and, and working for the benefit of each other. Sacrifice isn't optional. Working together, laboring, going about sharing the gospel work together isn't optional. Praying for each other is not optional. Refreshing each other is not optional. Praising each other's good work is not optional. This is how we share the faith. And it shouldn't just be from the staff. We have a saying sometimes that we get paid to do good. You do good for nothing. We want this to be a place where we expect that it's happening among you. 
that you're acknowledging the ministry that each of you is bringing towards each other and bringing to make this church a church that honors God and brings him glory. And it's beautiful when that happens, when we see people at all the levels of a church acknowledging the ministry and living out Christ's ideals about loving one another. And it's not that hard to do. In fact, it's simple. Sometimes it's as simple as sending a note to say thank you and acknowledging that someone has served you well. I received a note like that through Facebook, just through my messenger a couple weeks ago about our parking team. Someone sent me a note. I want to share that with you. The words are going to be on the screen. Hey, Dwayne, that's me. Um, I just wanted to reach out and let you know how appreciative I was after leaving church today. Peter Tolfson and the other gentleman on the parking, not sure his name, offered to scrape off the my car, as I was definitely not dressed appropriately for the weather. Ha, ha, ha. Did I read that wrong? I said, no, I was okay, but a few minutes later, while waiting for my car to heat up, he came back and insisted. It was very kind of them, and I wanted you to know how much it made my day. You know, this letter was so important that as soon as I got it, I thought, I want to make sure the guys hear this, because it was sent to me, but it was really intended for them. So if you ever are in the parking lot and you see the the door to the garage open up. Look, I'll, you'll see it's taped there. Those are the words on, on the wall. Just to remind those guys that they're ministering and it's affecting the people that come. We're more than connected. We're a community. And it blesses us to know that our ministry has made a difference in someone's life. So, you know, the sad thing, at least I've gone 365 days here in this year, and that's the first letter I've received like that for the parking team. I'm sure it's not the first time you've said thank you. But this is how meaningful it is. So when you take the time to say thank you, when you say, take the time to, to acknowledge the work that a, a volunteer has done for you in the lobby or at, behind the cafe or in Harvest Kids watching your children um, or, or the, someone who's come to your house to help you with something, it's, it's, so, it's such a blessing to them, just as it is to us when you mention it to us. And we thank you for that. We need to acknowledge ministry. That's the first example. The second example is this, that we seek agreement. We, we are seeking agreement. Let's go on in the letter. Let's start at verse 8. Accordingly, since I've heard all these things about you, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So the pressure here is starting to come because Paul wants Philemon to let Onesimus go free to serve him in the ministry. And he's seeking to get some agreement with Philemon about that. And Paul has switched. He was highly affirming of, Paul, of Philemon in the beginning of this letter. But at this point, he begins to appeal to reason. As he's trying to get Philemon to agree, he, he starts to slip in some justifications for his expectation that he would. He says, I have authority. I could, I could order you to do this. And he has seniority. I'm an old man. I have some wisdom about these things. And he also says, I've given up a little bit more. I'm, I'm writing to you as a prisoner. You know, these things mean a lot to us, but they mean a lot to me. And so to our North American ears, this, these words of appeal that come after this affirmation might seem a little bit like it's flattery, like you're being set up and pressured into saying something just because someone has kind of buttered your bread and then asked you for something. But that's not what's happening. Paul is appropriately praising his ministry, and now he's working with Philemon to try to get him to agree to do what God wants him to do. I could paraphrase Paul by saying, look, I could just order you to do this thing that I want, but I want you to want to do it too. 
those of you that are parents in the room, have you ever spoken to your kids like that where you, where you, you, you could just tell them to do the thing, but you want them to want to do it? It's bedtime. Go to bed. You know, I, that's you commanding, but it's like, I want you to want to go to bed. I want you to think it's a good idea to get a, a good night's sleep. Or maybe you, have a, you work in a place and you have some people to manage and, and they're not doing what they should and you, you're trying to tell them to do, what, do the task that they're, they're supposed to do and you, you want them to want to do it. We know this. And so you begin to appeal to them. You begin to want, give them reasons why they might agree to do the thing that they're being asked to do. You want them to agree with you about what is good. An intellectual agreement is at the heart of sharing our faith. In the way that God has designed us, we can have the same mind about what is good. We can agree. And this is why we have a church membership that's not predicated on just you coming and sitting in seats. That's how we build our sense of family, and, and that's one way of building our community, but, but that's not enough. We, our, our membership is actually based on an agreement, a statement that says we agree on these things. These are the things that we, we believe the Bible teaches. These are the ministry ideas that we want to chase together. These, this is the Lord we worship. These are the things about him that we believe are true. Sharing in the faith requires a mutual understanding that we belong to Christ, and we belong together, and that we follow his ways, and use his methods. It's an agreement to work together towards a particular goal in a particular area. To do it consistently and consistently with the scriptures in such a way that we draw out the personal consent of everybody that's here. So Paul is literally asking Philemon to sign off on letting Onesimus go into ministry with him. And if Philemon consents, goodness would be voluntary and not compelled through his authority. Let me ask you this. Which scenario gives God more glory? Which scenario gives God more glory? The one where you do something because someone forces you to do it, or you do the good thing because you realize, I wanted to do that too. The second one, it's obvious to us. We all understand that, and that's what's happening here. Paul is preaching, writing to Philemon, trying to get him to do the thing that he should do so that God gets more glory. Philemon, if you want to do this, because I want you to do this, if we both want to do this, this is a good thing. I want you to agree with me. Some people, some organizations try to get agreement, try to achieve consent by taking votes. Some people do that. But voting only reveals if you have consent or do not have it. It's not the same as working together through reasonably, carefully, and lovingly laying out your idea consistent with the scriptures and giving people a chance to respond to that truth voluntarily. It takes work to achieve that kind of consent. And as leaders here, we we try to achieve consent with you. We, We do this in our preaching, our exegetical preaching. We don't just tell you this is what we think it is. We try to show you with open Bibles, here's the God's word. You should have a copy in your hand. Follow along and see these points. Do you see them coming out of Scripture? Yes, I see them coming out of Scripture. Do you understand this word? Yes, I can see that. Can you follow along with this argument so that as we make these points, you should be able to agree? I'm not compelling compelling you to do this with authority. I'm saying I want you to, to believe this is true, and I'm showing you why, why it's coming here. That's why we do exegetical preaching so that you can consent to what's being said and and agree that this is what the Lord's word is for us. We also seek your consent by being open and and accessible as elders and staff 
We, we demonstrate a desire to agree with you and with each other by asking and responding to questions about the scriptures, about teaching plans, uh, about uh, announcements and decisions. And we invite you to talk to us about this. And, and in fact, because of that, we have e- emails set up like elders at harvestberry.ca. You'll hear that whenever something comes out and we say, hey, we would we'd love to hear your feedback on that. You'll hear them tag it with elders. Ask the elders. And those emails go to the elders. They read them. They consider what you're saying. They talk about it, and they go, should we come back to this idea? But in fact, it's not just our elders that have that. They're in the room. They're around, walking around. You can talk to them in person as well. But our staff has that, and we circulate among you. We want to hear what you say, and each one of us has an email that you can send a question to or say, hey, help me understand what's going on, or I'm reading this scripture. I don't get it. I didn't get that point here. And we take the time to to develop that relationship so we can agree. You can't get that maybe with a politician. You can't get that sometimes with a teacher in your school. But at church, because we seek agreement, because we share faith, we want that to be the way it is, you can speak directly to everybody. And all of this is done so that cooperation is not forced or taken for granted. It's offered out of a decision to agree. It's offered out of love. And so we reasonably make explanation for what we do and why we do it and why we ask what we ask. And this idea of seeking agreement, agreement requires leaders at every level in our church, not just staff, but people that are leading small groups and our team leaders and, and our harvest kids and harvest youth leaders and um, everybody to not take their positions for, um, of authority and misuse them or try to use them for personal gains. Not to, as the scripture says, lord it over anyone, but to seek this fellowship, this community. And that's what it requires of our leaders. But listen, as people that go to church, it requires us who come and connect by sitting in a chair to go one step further and make sure that we're in communication, that we, that we ask questions, that we take the opportunities to, to learn and grow and so that we can agree intellectually with what's happening. So that's what sharing our faith is. A third example is this one, medi- mediating reconciliation. And we're almost halfway done this book. Let's go to verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred, I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness not, might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, no longer as a slave, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if the switch from kind of going to affirming Philemon to beginning to press Philemon for, for, um, for something to do, to agree with him, made you a little bit uncomfortable, this next part might start to cause you to be like, I'm, I don't like this letter now. Because there's a part of you going like, you know, this is kind of like a private thing. This is the equivalent, the way this letter has come about, it's, it's like this. I address a letter to you, you're in the two field in my email. But then I CC everyone in the church. And I talk about your business. And it goes to everyone. That's what's happened here. Paul has, has written, it says Philemon, but if you caught it, hey, this is to Philemon and Aphia and Archippus and the church in your house. 
It's an open letter. And in this letter, Paul is talking about a private matter. He exposes Onesimus' sin in the context of his conversion and adds pressure, public pressure to Philemon to conform to a new standard of behavior that he hasn't necessarily fully processed through. And it's right out there. I don't know about you, but if you receive an email like that, would you be comfortable when you see who's in the CC field? And you say, well, this is a private matter. Poor Onesimus, he's the one called useless in the letter. I wouldn't want that to be copied out to everybody. But that's what's happening here. And it's not because there's any shaming going on. It's not because Paul lost his mind and decided we're just going to embarrass these people. It's because he cares about them. He loves both of these men deeply. And he wants the church to have an example of reconciliation. He wants them to see it. And so he's decided to put his nose in their business, which he's not really doing. It's the church's business. And he wants to help them. He wants to persuade Philemon to reconcile. It's appropriate for him to ask him these things. It's not just a personal issue. One of the reasons Paul might be involved here is because between Philemon and Onesimus, in their ways that they're connected, Onesimus was the slave. He was the bondservant. He was the one without power. And so Philemon, caring about Onesimus, has written, used a little bit of his credibility, his status to to impress upon Philemon what needs to be done. Because Onesimus is a bit vulnerable. He's the one returning after sinning. And so Paul writes to just make sure there's no imbalance of equality. But he's also writing Philemon to protect Philemon from from acting within his rights to do something that would not bring God's glory and at the same time would reduce his testimony. He has an opportunity to refresh Onesimus' heart the same way he's done it for Paul and everyone else. So this letter, this little letter teaches us an important lesson. Unresolved conflicts between believers are not fully private matters because unresolved conflicts affect the shared testimony of the whole community of faith and not just the individuals involved. This mattered to everyone. They knew Onesimus used to be in this house. They knew he was gone. This letter showed up. And who brought it? It was Onesimus. He showed up at the door. I'm home. Read this. Right? He's, he's, it's, it's awkward. He's coming home. And they all know about it. And they want to see what Philemon, their church leader, is going to do. It's, it's not just a private event bet- between them. It's, it's become more than that. Are you able to confess, like I would have to, that as a sinful person, I need to have wise people, loving people, people who are godly around me, who can show me how to honor God's word as I relate to my family members and and to my friends and other believers within the church? Do you need that as a sinful person? Do Do you need people to come alongside you and give you a perspective if you're in an argument about how do you respond to another brother or sister in Christ? We do. We need that. And hopefully you have that. Hopefully as you look around this morning, you can see someone in this room, maybe at this same service because you come here often, who could be that person, a a loving, mature Christian friend who could come alongside you if you were in an unresolved conflict with someone else that you love in your church and, and, and begin to direct you about what the Lord will have you do. But if you didn't have a friend like that, the cool thing about a church is you still have a pastor or an elder or potentially a small group leader or a team leader or, or a youth leader or someone who has put themselves in a position to help you. Our soul care workers do exactly that. These are all people who may risk offending you so that you could agree to do the good things that would allow reconciliation to happen. 
And of course, when they do that, as, as you, you share your faith with them and they share their faith with you by getting involved, there's going to be friction. There's going to be tension. There's going to be awkwardness, and you're going to feel a little exposed. But we need that. It's why we've been brought together into community, because God is all about reconciliation, and he knows how we can do it. And so let me ask you, who are the people you'd bring into your private conflicts to help you reconcile? Who are those people? You know, I'm going a little bit off script here, but you're in danger if all those people are not in your church. I had this thought as I was writing this out, and I was too scared to say it before. But sometimes we think, oh, i got to get someone in on this. I don't want it to be anybody from the church. I'd rather have someone who doesn't share my faith, who doesn't know the people there, who doesn't love me, who's not committed to me in any way, talk to me about my problems. That's going to help me. You can see where I lean on this idea. But I want to challenge you, just mentally, if you don't want to do it, put it down. Who are those people? At least they should be Christians but in a great, greatest way possible. Hopefully they could be Christians that you're in church with. Hopefully they're in this church with you. Example number four is anticipating adoption. We share the faith by anticipating adoption. Let's go on, verse 17. If you consider me your partner, this is the same word of sharing your faith. It's this Greek word called koinonia, and it's the whole concept of our fellowship, not just our friendship, not just our hanging out together, but that we're together, supernaturally brought together, sharing this kind of love for each other, unconditional love, working for each other's benefit, that kind of idea. If you consider me a partner in that kind of idea, Philemon, Paul says to him, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, and I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul's getting to the point here, and it's pivoting on this idea of partnership. This idea that they share an idea, that they are brothers in Christ. And Paul says, now if you consider me a brother in Christ, and I'm sending my son to you, I want you to see, receive my son like you'd receive me as a brother. I want you to adopt him. Take him in as a member of your family. That's what this idea of receive him as you would receive me. Take him in like he's your new best friend. Bring him close to you. The whole request, the whole discomfort of this, the whole reason why Paul can put this pressure on him is because he presumes that Philemon is his partner, that they do share in the gospel work, and that their relationship is special. They've adopted each other as family members in Christ. So think again about the people in this room. Are they your partners? Do you cooperate with each other in a specific way? Do you treat these people as though they're special members of your spiritual family? And maybe you're thinking, well, it's not practical to do that with a room that can hold 350 people to 400 people. Okay, I agree. That might be hard for you to do that. You're a gifted person if you can. But what about a small group? What about a team that you're on? And if you're not on any of those things, what about the people that sit where you sit every week, that you say hi to, that you shake hands with, that, that you, hey, how was your Christmas? You know, it's good to see you. How do you cooperate with them? How are they special members of your spiritual family? How do you receive each other from week to week? We have this responsibility to each, to each other that is the direct result 
of being brought into God's family when we were previously estranged. We all started off as outsiders, as strangers to God, and in some cases enemies to the gospel and to the principles that are in the word. And yet, miraculously and mercifully, God brought us into his family and invited us to call him father. He adopted us. That's what Romans 8 is all about. And now that we've been brought in as family members, we're expected to, to receive people in the same way. Others who have been alienated from God because of sin, and now, because of repentance and because of faith, they want to come back and be part of the family. And for this, you must think about the parable of the, the lost son, the prodigal son who comes home and has a father that embraces him and treats him again like a son when he expected only to be a servant, a slave. Our appropriate living faith response to the gospel is for you to receive the repentant sinner in the same way you received the friend. Because the cross has made us all equals. At the cross, the, the blood of Christ that washes my sin away, washes away the sin of the, of the slave the same way it takes care of the owner. It washes away the sin of the man the same way it takes care of the sin of the woman. It washes away the sins of the friends the same way it washes away the sins of the stranger. And we have this equality. And so when we meet people who are coming back to God, we need to go out of our way and adopt them. We need to be able to anticipate that the others in our church will do the same thing. So that if I bring my friend who is a sinner, and maybe you knew them, maybe you knew what they were doing before, and they come to church, that I could bring them down, sit them in my row, and have you welcome them. And the same for you when you're bringing your children or your husband or your wife or someone that you care about into the, into the family to know that they, you can anticipate adoption. Paul's words here show practical ways that we can do this. He offers to cover Onesimus' debt. He kind of signs off, and I write this with my own hand. Whatever he owes you, charge it to me. But then he pushes Philemon and says, forget about that, Philemon. What if we just forgive him? What if, what if we just decide to erase Onesimus' debt completely? Whatever he owes you, you know, what if we just forget about it? Because remember, I'm not asking you to pay back what you owe me. So why don't you just pay it forward? Cancel his debt. And together, Paul and Philemon, as brothers in Christ, could partner to take on the burden of bringing in this new person into the family so they didn't have to carry those burdens in. They could partner like that and adopt a new believer into their fellowship. And we are a community of people that were all adopted by God in the same way. And we must anticipate that God is going to bring more people into his family, and we need to receive them well. Someone else has paid for the care that, could, could, that you could never provide for yourself. Someone covered your transgressions. Someone shrouded the ugliness of your sin in the beauty of their forgiveness and love. And that someone was Christ. But in so many ways, it was also the Christian people at the church that you went to who were acting on his behalf, who attended to your physical or your emotional or your mental needs while the Holy Spirit attended to your spiritual condition. You were adopted. And we anticipate that we'll adopt others together. There's one more example to go. It comes from the end of the letter, and that's we share our faith. We share the faith by exceeding obedience. Look at these last verses, starting at 21. Paul writes now, it's not leaving Philemon a lot of room. Confident of your obedience, I know you're going to say yes. That's hard. 
I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me because I'm coming over. I ho- I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, by the way, he's looking in on this to see what you're going to do. My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greetings to you. And so do Mark. He's watching this. Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul is making his request clearer and clearer. He wants Philemon to go out of his way to make Onesimus feel welcome, to treat him as a loved member of the church family, to release him to serve Paul after he's done taking care of him at home, and he wants them to do all of this in a way that is consistent with his public ministry of refreshing the saints. And so now it's up to Philemon to determine what he will do. And here's the thing. We don't know what Philemon did. We don't have that information. We don't know what happened to Onesimus. All we know is that Philemon had this reputation, that Onesimus had been saved, and that Paul had written this letter. But we don't know the response. But we do know what God wanted Philemon to do, don't we? Do you know what God, do you feel like you know what God wanted Philemon to do? Yeah. Everybody knows what, what God wants Philemon to do. He wants him to do something that will bring God glory. And Paul has set the example of this by sharing the faith with someone who he once considered an alien to God's rules and, and ways. He shared the faith with Onesimus, and he opened his heart to him at the same time. He, he opened his heart to someone that was a runaway slave. The only way to exceed obedience is for us to give our hearts to a task that we've been asked to do and to do it beyond what we've been asked. We give our hearts to it. We determine to act graciously and give more of ourselves than should ever be expected. So when Paul went beyond accepting Onesimus as a slave and made him an equal, he, he opened up his heart, and it says in verse 12, Look at that. I'm sending Onesimus back to you, sending my very heart. He even sought to see him in a different way. He said he was formerly useless to you. That's a play on his name because his name, Onesimus, means useful. And he put him into the ministry and he wants him back. So he took Onesimus to heart. He treated him like family. He adopted him in a precious son in the faith. He used those same words to talk about Timothy. He loved this person. And Onesimus succeeded obedience too by returning to his master, willingly going home to, to go back to work off his debt if that's what needed to happen, giving up the opportunity to, to be out there serving Paul and hanging out with someone who treated him like a father. He went beyond. He gave his heart to what he was asked to do, unaware of what the outcome of the decision would be. So Paul was making it very obvious what he wanted Philemon to do. He was making it obvious what the right move was. And to finish, I'd like to do the same for us as a church. As we move into this new year, I'd like to ask you, if you've adopted us as your church family, but you aren't a church member, if you haven't said that you agree with us, we'd invite you to become a member here in 2020. We have about 330 individuals who are already members here, and I hope you're living by these ideas, that you're sharing your faith in these ways, and we are so thankful that you do. It encourages us greatly. You work together by consent to carry out Christ's mission. But there's another 400 or so people that are connected here. You come often enough, and we consider you family. We love you. You're here, and we need your help, and we benefit from your ministry. But I assume that you're here so often because you found something that you agree with. And if you are all in, 
and you haven't said so, we want you to tell us. That's what membership does. If you consider us your partners, if you consider us fellow shareholders in the ministry of faith that God has given us, if you want us to refresh your heart and you intend for us to refresh yours, we want you to tell us. We want you to become a member. If you have a ministry here and you've been blessed by the ministry of others that come here, if you seek to agree with the people who worship here, if you like the idea of the songs we sing and and the work we're doing and, and the church planting that we're going after, if you anticipate being adopted as a repentant sinner and and you receive other repentant sinners in the same way, like their family, if you've put your heart into this work with us, we want you to let us know. We want you to become a member. It's not enough just to be connected here. In my position, I realize that many people love to say, this is my church. You love to tell it, that's where I go to church. But all you've really done for us is show up consistently. And that's enough. We do love you. We're going to try to treat you the same way Jesus has treated us. But it's such an encouragement to the 330 to know that you agree. And so I'd encourage you to to become a member, to start that process. As you see this partnership between Philemon and Paul being extended to Onesimus, and you look down the road and you realize, maybe I don't have that. Does your heart long for more than a connection? Do you want to be part of a community like they are building? I hope you do. And that's what we're building here. And we would be strengthened as you come and share your living faith with us. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for your grace and your wisdom to adopt people into your family from all parts of life, all, all backgrounds. And you've brought us into this, into a position where we can share our faith together, that we can agree to do it, Lord, where you treat us like children, your sons and your daughters, where we get to look at other people like spiritual family mothers and, and fathers in the Lord. And God, we're not slaves. That's not your heart that we'd be here working off some debt for you, but that we'd agree out of love that we could work with you and with each other. So God, I pray. I pray for someone whose heart right now is thinking, I I don't know why I haven't done that. I agree with everything. This is what I want to do. Lord, would you encourage them, help them to take a step towards membership. Father, would you help us that have already said it to live that out, that we might be yours, have a true living faith, and share intentionally share this with the people we go to church with. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.